The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Jeff Parker, creator of Meteor Man, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Man. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area. It's nice to be home, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 225, another landmark anniversary episode where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 24th. 225, I will actually grant you, is a landmark right? episode. 225. My name is Matt Baum. It's at Man Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not strapping on my lederhosen and drinking myself to near death at Oktoberfest, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. I can't believe we're actually here in the same room. I know, right? It feels Man, like it's been forever. It has been forever. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not busting out my fall wardrobe and enjoying the colors of the leaves. You should see him. He looks really nice. He's got his church clothes on. <laughs> and the new fall TV lineup. Let me tell you what. Minority Report was just okay, but Blind Spot was pretty good. I didn't even know Minority Report was a thing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> also, the new Wesley Snipes show sucks. <laughs> okay. I'm the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, you're going to hear... Oh, and Heroes Reborn. <laughs> you. <laughs> you. Heroes Reborn. Terrible? It's awful. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why anybody thought it was going to be any good, though. I don't know either. This week, you're going to hear our reviews of Debbie's Inferno, number one, and Public Relations, number one. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than Hedora the Smog Monster can unplug the VW emissions detector during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be lamenting the loss of Yogi Bear and guiding his spirit to the happy hunting ground. Uh, buddy. We'll get there. And talking about next week's comics. And finally... We prove the Adderall is working when we sit down to review an entire graphic novel when Joey and I review Steve Orlando's Virgil as part of our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment. But before we ring in the fall equinox by smashing a bottle of Spot and Oktoberfest on the ziggurat, we hope you all had both a happy Talk Like a Pirate Day this last Tuesday. Huh? Arr. Arr. And a National Comic Book Day this last Friday. And yesterday was Batman Day. Yesterday was Batman Day. This week is crazy. I love it. <laughs> and then we can talk about this week's Big Bat News. Today is Sunday. We got big news. The Marvel Comics has recently been under fire for the lack of creator diversity present in their all-new, all-different Marvel relaunch, which itself was presented as an attempt to diversify their line of publications. It does seem that they've taken the criticism to heart because this week, the publisher announced plans to bring the Black Panther back into the spotlight in a new series penned by activist writer Ta-Nehisi Coates with art by industry veteran Brian Stelfreeze. Love him. We at THN are big fans of Stelfreeze's work, which... That's what I just said. <laughs> I know. Which has graced the pages of creator-owned titles like Daymen, The Ride, and Matador, and hundreds of covers featuring the most iconic characters in comics. Coates is a celebrated writer, national correspondent for The Atlantic, very fancy, there and writer of Between the World and Me, which is a series of letters he wrote to his son about being black in America, that author Toni Morrison called required reading. When I went to read about the background of the story, I read a, one of the letters from the book. 
excellent stuff. And it's not like this Tuesdays with Maury feel good garbage. It's pretty biting and it's kind of upsetting. And well, some yeah. people even got mad at him. Like there was some criticism saying like, this is really dark, but he's giving this very realistic view of race relations in America and how fucked up it is. Sure. So obviously Coates brings a pedigree that is rarely seen in comics. The new Black Panther series kicks off with a year long storyline called A Nation Under Our Feet, where T'Challa will do battle with a group of superhuman terrorists. I'm sure there's much more to it than that. Probably. Uh, in the New York Times article announcing the project, Coates said that Marvel was, quote, an intimate part of my childhood and at this point, part of my adulthood. It was mostly through pop culture, through hip hop, through Dungeons and Dragons and comic books that I acquired much of my vocabulary, end quote. With a quote like that, dude is okay in my book. Sure. <laughs> Look, I have to confess to my ignorance. I'm not familiar with this guy because I'm a privileged white man living sure. in Nebraska. And you don't read The Atlantic because you're uh, not an economist news junkie. But this does seem like a really big deal. It is a big deal. People are freaking out about it. I don't remember the last time that Marvel went to one of the most important political magazines in America and said, hey, do you want to write a comic book? <laughs> like <laughs> The guys that write for The Atlantic are heavy hitters, really heavy hitters, and it's a very important magazine. I'm not real familiar with Coates' work either. I'm going to read Between the World and Me because of all the praise that I read about it while I was researching this story. I think this sounds awesome. The only thing that worries me is when they bring in outsiders into the comic book world, it's not always great. It's just because you're a great writer doesn't necessarily mean you're going to write great comics. You know what I mean? Right. I'm willing to give and them the benefit of the sure. doubt. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd like to, to touch on that. It's hard for us to kind of let go of our gatekeeper mentality. Sure. Not that people aren't welcome in comics. Comics are for everyone and all that. But... I am so protective of a very specific version of this character. Right. Created and 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 cultivated by Christopher Priest. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he didn't create the Black Panther, but you know what no, I mean? No, no, no. But the one that we love. Right. You know, the last time they reinvented Black Panther, they brought in the president of BET. Yeah. I read one issue and went, this is not good. It was terrible. And it's it, not was, good. Just because you're a black guy doesn't mean you can write a black character. Just because you're a white guy doesn't mean you can write a white character. You know, It's, it's not even necessarily, it may have been, and it may have ended up being good. I mean, people did, must have enjoyed it. Uh, it's a problem for us to just kind of like let go a little. Sure. And let him do his thing. Marvel's also has been fishing outside of the pool of creators that we know to bring in guys like Brian Posehn, guys like Jerry Duggan, who did a great job on Deadpool really have, you know, and so, and it's working for him. So I think this guy obviously has some good ideas. They're not going to put someone on the book. That's going to completely fail right before they build up to a black Panther movie. I think this is a good thing and a big deal. And it does seem like he has a connection to the character. Absolutely. He went on Twitter and answered a bunch of fan questions and they were obviously all very tongue in cheek. Right. Uh, and it was hilarious, but he was dropping a lot of like very deep nerdy. Oh, he's a nerd references. Dude played D and D. He's a yeah. Nerd. So I, I'm excited for this. I think it's great for the character. I think yeah. it's great for Marvel and certainly a much needed shot in the arm. Joe, this week, the Hollywood reporters heat vision blog reported that Batman co-creator Bill Finger is finally going to receive creative credit on all of the DC's bat centric film and TV projects. Specifically, Selena Kyle, who's appearing on Gotham right now as a Catwoman that I don't recognize or like. Well, it's a Catwoman as a kid. Right. As well as the upcoming film Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. Joey, is this too little too late or is this another step towards the big two acknowledging that they may not have been fair to these creators that got them to where they are today? I don't know the specifics 
And somebody like Jason Sachs can maybe lay it on us and right. correct us on this. But and I would like to hear because I don't really know. I believe that there was a legal reason why DC could not acknowledge the fact that anyone other than Bob Kane created Batman. I re- remember hearing specifically that contractually DC was obligated to refer to the creator of Batman as Bob Kane. Well, something has changed because when you've got Diane Nelson, president of DC Entertainment. Saying, quote, Bill Finger was instrumental in developing many of the key creative elements that enriched the Batman universe. And we look forward to building on our acknowledgement of his significant role, yada, yada, yada. I think it comes down to when they were just saying Batman is created by Bob Kane. It's easier to say, there you go. And we're not going to go into everyone that created everyone else. We're not going to necessarily go into the guy that created. This isn't a matter of like killer moth or something. Right. This isn't like saying. Well, okay, you have to give credit to the guy who came up with Kryptonite. Right. Or Jimmy Olsen, who it was introduced in the radio show. Right. No, this is like Bob Kane said, I have an idea for this character. He wears uh, a red suit and a domino mask, like a Robin mask, and he's got blonde hair and blah, blah, blah. And Bill Finger said, I got it. Batman. He wears black. Right. And he's got pointy ears. Right. And he drives a badass car. Yeah. And here's Catwoman. So, like, everything that we know everything that we think of as like, yes, Batman, that's Bill finger. And it's about damn time. Absolutely. The story only referred to giving him screen credit, which I don't get. Hopefully the comics follow suit. I don't know why they wouldn't It seems silly not to, but like you said, it is absolutely about time and it has been a long struggle for him to get the credit. He deserves right on on Monday. Heidi McDonald's site, the beat reported that Archie Comics is laying off five employees of their staff of 30. Recently, Archie got clobbered with online criticism after launching a Kickstarter seeking $350,000 to fund their new Archie line. The Kickstarter was scrapped, and the new Archie number one still shipped more than 100,000 issues, but it did have a huge drop-off in sales for number two, only shipping 30,000. Matt, do you think Archie actually needed the Kickstarter, and are these layoffs a sign of financial trouble in Riverdale? If they needed the Kickstarter, they're in huge trouble. Way bigger than we thought. I don't know that they did, and I'm not going to go back into whether or not they should have done it that way, but they laid off 15% of their staff. I mean, five people doesn't sound like a lot of jobs, but that's 15% of their staff. That's a big layoff. Well, sure, but we don't know which five. We don't. And it doesn't... Layoffs are bad. Layoffs are bad. Mark Wade came out when this whole argument with the Kickstarter was going on between him and Jimmy Palmiotti on Twitter, and he was like, look, man... Archie is in really bad financial shape due to like really poor management and still. Yeah, we talked about this. The penis lady still right now. That former management is suing the new management. So I hope people remember us talking about the well, penis lady. Yeah, For those who don't remember, <laughs> she ran around the office screaming penis, penis, penis because she's crazy. <laughs> but they're still suing. They are suing the current management. So we don't know legally where they're at in courtroom drama and stuff. All we do know is Archie comics are selling better than they have in a long damn time. Yeah. And they're laying people off. It kind of makes you wonder. Well, I'm not going to say it's directly because of the Kickstarter or not, but maybe they needed more help than we thought. But here's the bottom line for me. There's no way in hell Archie was going to use that Kickstarter to pay salaries. That's I hope not. Uh, and you are absolutely right now. The, the drop in sales from a hundred thousand to 30,000, 30,000 copies is still it's well gotta be over what Archie sells. What regularly. double? I would guess what Archie sells on a regular guess. basis. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't think that's a shock. Plus also Archie number one had like nine covers, right? These new books that the Kickstarter was supposed to fund, the Chip Zdarsky Jughead, the Adam Hughes, Benny and Veronica, they're still going to come out. Yeah. The, but we should say the books are still coming out. 
They're, they're not. At least as far as we know. As far as we know. <laughs> I mean, it's rough, and I hope that they're doing okay and that the people that got laid off land on their feet. It's never good to hear that a comic publisher may or may not be in financial trouble. I don't know why I think this way, but the idea that the entirety of Archie Comics is only 30 people. I know. It's kind of freaky. Right. That's a bullpen right there where everybody probably works in the same damn office. But not every company is Marvel. True. Obviously. According to producers Walter Parks and Lori McDonald, Men in Black is headed back to the big screen, but without its biggest star. Sorry, Tommy Lee Jones. Quote, (laughs) we're in the middle of it. It's very active, Parks told The Hollywood Reporter. However, regarding Will Smith's involvement with the future Men in Black films, Parks said, most likely no. With McDonald adding, it will be reinvented as a trilogy. Joe. We've seen MIB without Tommy Lee, but can they pull it off without Big Willie? No way, man. Tommy Lee's been in all three of them. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, he wasn't the major role in the last one. It was younger him. It was time travel, but I he was know, still I know, there. I know, I know, And it wasn't great. Last installment It was, was better than the second one. It was better than the second one. The last installment was 2012, not that long ago. Who do you get to replace Big Willie? Man, I don't know. That dude was a huge star, like the biggest star in the 90s. I would argue he's fallen off quite a bit. He may not even be a star anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Well, listen. He doesn't drive like vehicles like he used to. That's for certain. I'm not saying Scientology is definitely bad for your career. I'm but saying it's definitely bad for your career. <laughs> Come get me, Scientology. Well, it didn't stop Tom Cruise. That dude is still a megastar. That's different. He's like a grand dragon or something. Will's not there yet. <laughs> he's the he's the grand wizard of Scientology. <laughs> so who replaces Will? He's a Sigma Six Laser Lotus. <laughs> yes. The Sigma Six Laser Lotus. <laughs> uh, I see that you have in the notes here that Anthony Mackie uh, would be a good idea. That's I'd be fine with that. Yeah. I love Anthony Mackie. Uh, here's the thing about Men in Black. You can literally do it with anybody. Ludicrous. Sure. Yes. But Ludicrous in MIB. Luda. I'd like to see female men in black. They tried that in the second one. No, that was in the first one. That was in the first one. Well, you never actually saw her in action, though. No, no. I'd like to see like female driven men in black. Like the Ghostbusters. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. I'd be into that. I love Men in Black, though. I do, too. I, I love the spot. idea of it. I have a soft spot in my heart, and I'd love to see some more good movies. I hope they do well. And finally, the tracking board has reported that a Blue Beetle Booster Gold live-action movie is in development at Warner Brothers with none other than Greg Berlanti, the man behind Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl producing. Puke. Puke nothing. Uh. That <laughs> The report compares the project to a buddy cop movie, which is in stark contrast to the currently humorless direction of DC's cinematic universe. I don't think humorless is it. It's like a Werner Herzog <laughs> direction of the cinematic universe. <laughs> Matt, are you ready to chuckle during a DC movie or do you see this even going into pre-production? I am absolutely ready to chuckle during a DC movie because I don't remember the last time it happened. I mean, maybe you have to go back to Tim Burton's Batman. I, I'm not certain. <laughs> there, no, Tim Burton's Batman was not funny. No, but like there was like some, you know, comedic. It wasn't lighthearted either. <laughs> not exactly. But from what I understand, this was like a one time report and we haven't heard anything else about it. So and- yeah, most most comic sites just reacted to this single report and there has been a complete lack of further confirmation or follow up reporting, which means this is probably total bullshit. More importantly, go to the forums. I want you guys to cast Booster and Beetle. We're going to do it too. Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk. We already did this on the answer of the week. I, love I still love that answer. I love Boom. it. I love it. And you know what? I don't care who plays which role. <laughs> I think Nathan Fillion should be Booster. I th- yeah, I, you're, got prob- more, you're probably right. He's got but more charisma. Yeah. Don't let her get the best of me, buddy. Don't ever let me start feeling lonely. 
that's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything else we missed, hit us up at the THN forums where Joe has already penned his hilarious two-headed nerd buddy cop movie, and we'd love some notes from anyone but me who keeps pushing him in the direction of torture porn. Please. The please. kids love it. I can't wait to go see Green Inferno. Isn't that like a cannibal movie? Probably. Ugh. It's Eli Roth, so yes. I cry <laughs> at the least little thing. Every week, the rigs to my Murtaugh puts but the question of the week up on the THN forums. I'll die Joe Patrick, if you mention what are we asking the nerds this week? Wait, does that make me Mel Gibson or Danny Glover? Uh, Riggs was Danny Glover. Riggs was... No, Murtaugh is Danny Glover. I'm, I'm getting too old for this Riggs was, okay. You're the loose cannon. I'm the racist. Yeah, you're the Great. racist loose cannon. Great. <laughs> this is another question from deep in the THN archives asked by a young, fresh-faced Black Scorpion the Three. Back before we ruined him. Yeah. Yeah. Back, he was just posted on a guest account. Yeah, he was such a sweetheart. What is your favorite temporary character transformation in comics? Thor turned into a frog. Sure. Spider-Man sprouted extra arms. Superman grew a mullet. Yep. <laughs> you get the idea. Yeah. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this Friday, October 2nd, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype through the handle Two-Headed Nerd or at the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. And if you're feeling fancy, send an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. Keep it short, two minutes or less. You know the drill by right now. Matt don't care about your feelings or I'll, your opinions. I'll cut your calls balls off. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums and then... Tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's a superior show to this one. Far superior. Quite frankly. What are you kidding me? <laughs> Everything's happy underground. It was a light week for new comics, so Joe and I dug a little deeper to give a couple of indie comics the spotlight. Joey, I appreciate you going along with our indie experiment to uh, up your street cred. Tell the kids about what you reviewed this week. I am reviewing public relations number one from Devil's Due slash first comics. I'm not sure what that's all about. I don't either. It's written by Matt Sturges and Dave Justice. He might prefer Matthew. Sorry about that. With art by David Hahn. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Dan Clover's office crush would love to go to his father's 50th blowout birthday gala. It's in magical Sardonia. No, really magic. And father's king and absolute ruler from whom Dan's been estranged since birth. Ah, Dan, can this possibly end well? That's kind of a weird solicit. Sort of. But mm -hmm. it also kind of goes along really well with the spirit of the story. I guess it kind of does. Yeah. Right. I can't remember the last time I read a Devil's Due comic. Yeah. And if they're listening, I've contacted you several times trying to get you to send me previews and stuff to review and you never did. Jerks. I contacted directly to get a preview of public relations and they sent it right to yeah, me. So they like you better than me. Whatever. Our emails come from the same account. I did see Matthew Sturgis's name on it. I thought that the office politics plus magic theme sounded pretty fun. So I grabbed it. It turned out to be a little different than what I was expecting, but it ended up being a ton of fun. I thought office drone. Dan has a crush on his company's Deschanel esque intern Thranody. I don't get Deschanel esque from her. Yeah, she's pretty Dacian. She's gothy. 
Eh, no, she's not gothy. Goth. She was constantly joking. She's in a Joy Division cover band. She's not goth just because she's got dark hair. With the best name ever, by the way, Curtis Interruptus. Curtis Interruptus <laughs> is pretty so good. good. <laughs> uh, Threnody is a name that no one in history has actually possessed. Threnody. 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 C. It's a real name. But no one has ever actually been called yeah, Threnody. There's people out there named Threnody. Those people got deep issues. Their parents were big Ballhaus fans. <laughs> After some weeks of mild flirtation, Dan musters up the courage to invite Threnody. Threnody. Threnody <laughs> to his father's 50th birthday extravaganza. The catch is that his dad is the ruler of the European nation of Sardonia, a country where magic is very, very real. From the jump, Sturges and Justice pack public relations with hilarious jokes and quippy dialogue. The script moves very fast, ushering Dan from scene to scene and jumping around in time as we meet the cast. If you really think about it, not a lot happens in this issue, but it's a comedic character piece. So none of the time spent with the characters is wasted, even if they're just talking. All of the characters aside from Dan and Threnody are painted with a very broad brush. Violet is the office floozy. Rhett is an arrogant asshole. Chip is the world's worst but most confident tour guide slash concierge. He was my favorite. He's awesome. <laughs> I loved him. But they're all really funny. Yeah. I think the last time I saw David Hahn's art was the Vertigo series Bite Club. Oh, yeah. From about 10 years ago. Okay, that's where I recognize that name. He draws with a deceptively simple thin line style that I enjoy. His characters are all distinct and he never skimps on detail. I really like his dragons. They looked really cool. Yeah, they, but they all have like human teeth. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. His work falls right in line with what I used to consider one of Vertigo's house styles. And in fact, this book looks and feels like it would have been right at home at Vertigo. It doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me to find out they pitched it there. Maybe. Yeah. I think the reason I loved public relations so much boils down to this. It's arrested development with dragons. Heavy. Absolutely. This is Matthew Sturgis open love letter to Arrested Development. The narrator is Ron Howard. Yeah. Ab- like, I heard Ron Howard's voice while I read the narration boxes. And it jumps back and forth between things that are happening in the present, in the past. Like, there's all kinds of heavy continuity and jokes that are directly, like, lead in from the past to the present. Where it's like, I'm not sure I get the point of this joke. And then the next page is like, in the present. Everybody's, like, pointing swords at him. And he's right. like, oh! <laughs> you know? <laughs> There are gags that have no bearing on the forward momentum of the plot, like the narcoleptic pilot, the (laughs) narcoleptic, the narcoleptic pilot does have bearing on the plot, but the fact that he ends up accusing Dan of being a pedophile, that was the thing. It was like, don't you think like being narcoleptic and flying a plane is a bad idea? It's like, it's like if you asked a pedophile to like run a preschool and he's like, you're sick, pal. He's like, you know what you are? He's like, look, I'm just making a metaphor. Whatever pedophile. And he's like. That's about, he's like, that metaphor makes about as much sense as comparing an apple to a citrus fruit that rapes kids. (laughs) It was just ridiculous. Uh, It was so funny. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I really loved it. Same here. This was just a a, a pleasant surprise. And again, we both really like Sturgis's work on fables. I'm glad to see him writing something this cool. Pick this one up. You you may have missed it. Go pick this one. Caught up. me off guard. I didn't even know it was a thing until me I too. saw it on the release list. N- had no idea it was coming. Way to go, Devils Do. Nice PR. <laughs> Matt Bomb, take me on a trip to Debbie's Inferno. Oh, it was a ride. <laughs> Debbie's Inferno comes from Retrofit Big Planet Comics, written and drawn by Annie Emmond. Little side note, if you contact Retrofit Comics, Box Brown 
Writer and artist Box Brown, who wrote the Andre the Giant autobiography yeah. that we loved, will directly respond to you. That's because I think Box Brown is retrofit comic. Uh, he is. He is. He's a staff of one. Here's your solicit. This is the first print comic by Annie Emmett, creator of the popular comics. I was a little bit disappointed that her name was not Debbie. Okay. Debbie thinks... Because I thought it was autobiographical. What? It very well may be, and we just changed some of the names to protect the innocent. Debbie thinks it's pretty great to wallow in her comfy bed with her cat, watching TV and eating snacks, until her room starts flooding with a strange liquid, and Debbie's too lazy to escape. Luckily, her cat finally admits it can talk and leads Debbie through a modern inferno on a spiritual quest through Debbie's personal states of mind. The solicit literally says it all. Page one, room fills with water, cat starts talking, and they're off on a journey through Debbie's psyche. It's a really cute scene where the water is coming up and the cat's like, okay, we got to get out of here. And Debbie's like, I knew it. You can talk <laughs> like instantly. He's like, she's like, what is this water? He's like, it's not water. Just come with me. <laughs> Emmons art, like a lot of the indie creators I admire is very deceptively simple. She works in very two dimensional black and white with minimal detail, but creates an amazing amount of emotion with her characters faces while her paneling is, is, pretty much straightforward her motion and storytelling are genius through the story debbie's talking cat basically leads her through seven different levels of her insecurities they were all these strange areas that were inhabited by weird creatures like cold fish which were fish with human faces that can't make any decisions <laughs> like yeah. they basically swim around going i don't know i'm not sure uh, i don't know what to do here <laughs> What if I fail? <laughs> yeah. There's a frozen statues of people in the world of icy hearts, which were just people that have cut everyone out to protect themselves. There's a desert of burnt out passions filled with nude drunk people that smoke and drink and have sex all day. They also all have really bad like sunburns because <laughs> they're half they're naked in, all the time. <laughs> they're in the desert. There's even giant versions of Debbie that live in a dark cave and yell out her worst insecurities at her. The cat is basically Debbie's spirit animal that is guiding her through all these places to show her what these insecurities really are, pointing out that they're just creatures that live inside of you. They're just little voices that you created and you listen to each of them a little too much and you end up in a depression. You end up stuck in bed. You end up snacking on bullshit day laying with your cat watching crap on your computer when you could be living your life full disclosure here i suffer from depression and i'm guessing annie emmons does too because this was so right on just with these very simple light-hearted look at these different levels of insecurity and the things that upset us very solid indie comic work by a creator that embraces their own style even though it's not as marketable as say the slick superhero schlock that joe and i regularly gush about but like I said, it's a lighthearted, insightful look into the many different levels of insecurity that lead us into depression. I loved this. Now, if only I had a talking pug to pull me out of my dark caverns every <laughs> once in a while. This was great. That's what I'm here for, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, you really said it all. I don't have much to add. It, it is super insightful. It's an examination of these themes and these feelings without being like a crushing. Right. Like, look how terrible my own feelings are. Yeah, or like a horrific look into the damaged psyche of Debbie. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> like where they got to the where they got to the desert. Where it's like, yep, nonstop banging, nonstop yeah. banging. She's like, I can. Well, hang I here do for have a, a really bit. bad sunburn all the time because I'm topless. <laughs> because I'm naked. Like, I mean, they're, they're funny, but they're funny moments. 
but also very, very real. And at the end of it, uh, Debbie wakes up and I don't want to spoil too much, but it's a one shot issue where she has a fever dream about her anxieties and then wakes up from it. I just thought that that was like a perfect ending where she was just like, yeah. Well, I guess I better go do something. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm giving it a buy it. I thought it was great. And this sort of style is very much like cartooning, Absolutely. like Kate Beaton kind Absolutely. of. Um, not that they're like three panel gags or anything. They are full page. Uh, but that's the sort of thing you're getting into when you go for this. It's not going to be super slick, like lush background action shots with weird camera angles. It's like, no, nope. the, the story is more important. The story is more important. And she's got a unique style that's all her own. It's really well done. It's a buy it. So that is a double buy it for public relations and a double buy it for Debbie's Inferno. As always, we want to know what you animal spirit guides and children of magic kings thought of these comics. So after you're done drowning in your own insecurities and reconnecting with absent parents, beat down our self-worth with your opinions at the THN forums. You can find them by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. Joke's on you. I have a very healthy self-image and I don't give a shit what you say. <laughs> That's not true at all. Yeah, mine's terrible. The lying liars that work at Volkswagen were in the news this week when investigators discovered that not only did they fake the emissions tests on their diesel vehicles, the machines weren't even plugged in. When asked for comment, VW CEO Hedora the Smog Monster said, Choke on it, assholes! And flipped the camera the bird before dissipating into a smoky cloud and blowing away. Well, if there's one thing Tom Cruise taught Matt and I during our childhood Saturday morning cartoon viewing, it's that you don't f- with Gaia the Earth Mother. Oh, sir! Because he was ta- he was Captain Planet. That's well in the first episode only of Captain Planet. <laughs> he was still Captain Planet to me, asshole. <laughs> so now join Matt, me, and Captain Planet himself as we chase down Hedora to bring him to justice. Or her. Well, I don't really know if Hedora has a sex. Mm. Smog monster. Regardless. For her crimes against the environment, while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Wild's End, The Enemy Within, number one from Boom. It's easy to forget that Dan Abnett is British, but he is. Is it? Yeah. Is it easy to forget, this, Matt? <laughs> this is the story of what happens after the initial alien invasion of the town of Lower Crow Church, populated by talking animals. Beautiful art by INJ Colbard. This is Downton Abbey with aliens and talking animals. Get. The first it's not Downton trade. Abbey just because it's British. It's the same time period, though. These are like war heroes. That <laughs> no, yeah, some of them are. Yeah, the main character is. Get the first trade. You'll love it. And then buy this. I love this book. Buy it. You know what? I didn't read the first one, but I did read this, and it was great. It was great. And I didn't really have too many troubles following along. We are Robin number four from DC. I wasn't sure how long I was going to be into Libra Mejo's premise of a squad of teenagers taking the law into their own hands in the name of the world's most famous sidekick. But after the events of last issue, Bermejo surprised me with the reminder that these are just children and their actions have very real consequences for not just the kids, but their friends and families as well. Breathtaking and bizarre art in this issue by James Harvey and Alex Jaffe. I had my doubts, but they hooked me here. Buy it. I don't think it's selling well, so don't get too attached. Nah. Thief of Thieves, number 31 from Image. I don't know how the hell I lost track of this comic, but I did. Andy Diggle is writing here. It starts a new storyline that's mainly a courtroom battle where nobody seems to know who Redmond actually is until he shows up in very dramatic fashion. (laughs) It was a really cool twist. I have got to catch up on this book. It's worth it for Sean Martin Burroughs' art alone. 
I love Thief of Thieves and I totally forgot about it. I don't know how. Giving this a bite. Hasn't Andy Diggle been writing it the whole time? No. Him and it's like rotating. It was creator. like a script writer's room was the concept, yeah. right? Like story by Kirkman and then script by rotating. Different people and Diggle's back on it for this story. Okay. 7% number one from Red 5. This is a pretty high concept sci-fi action tale by Jeremy Feist, Luke Keith, and... How do you think you pronounce that? Giroux. Giroux Wimberly. About a group of freedom-fighting soldiers and scientists trying to unlock the secrets this of is a, a super Canadian team. Of a weird symbiote-generating machine that unlocks the full potential of the human mind in an attempt to overthrow the corrupt feudal government. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Still, I feel like I was able to keep a pretty firm grasp on the story. So firm, in fact, that I was able to predict the final twist from a mile away. Wimberly's line art is strong, but there's a heavy reliance on digital effects and heavy coloring that I found kind of distracting. It's a decent first issue, but not without its flaws. Skim it. Deathstroke number 10 from DC. Tony Daniel writes the final chapter of the God Killer story that I'm pretty sure nobody gives a shit about. Tyler Kirkham is on art drawing the best looking piece of on the stands and Daniel writes Deathstroke <laughs> like a Rob Leefield character from the 90s complete with really dumb one-liners. I'm sorry, my Deathstroke is smarter than this, more interesting than this. Isn't this, he like all young now? This is just nothing that reminds me of the Deathstroke I like or care about. But I will say, Kirkham has really come a long way. Regardless, leave it. Kanan, number six from Marvel. It's Kanan. Kanan, number six from Marvel. After five issues set in the past, Greg... Kanan, number six from Marvel. <laughs> After five issues set in the past, Greg Wiseman and guest artist Jacopo Kamani wow. bring us to the present day, at least as far as it applies to Star Wars Rebels. I've really been loving this series, which fills in the history of the last Padawan to escape Order 66. You and Myers from Comic Therapy. He screams about this all the time. It's great. The comic is great, even if you don't watch the cartoon. Which brings me to my next point. About halfway through... Well, that was such a great transition. I know. <laughs> I realized that Wiseman didn't really explain who the Star Wars Rebels characters were and barely even identified them by name, which is obviously not a problem if you're a fan of the enormously popular show. Right. But if you've just been reading this comic, you'll have no idea who these people are or why they're together because the entire first arc was set when Kanan was a boy. Oh, okay. I missed Pepe Larraz's art in this issue, but Kamanyi does a pretty good job here. I do hope Larraz comes back for the next arc, though. I'm giving this a buy it because I'm really digging the book overall, and Kanan is the real focus. So kicking the rebels to the background wasn't really a deal breaker. I like the show. The comic, I think, so far has been better. Okay. Like, I'm really enjoying it. The tithe, number five from Image. St. Patrick's Cathedral in downtown Manhattan is targeted by a radical Islamist suicide bomber and more than 200 people are killed in the blast. Think Tank writer Matt Hawkins is writing a biting and very well-written look at religion in the modern world here. This is a first part of a story titled Islamophobia. I really like the twist in the end here, and I'm sorry I didn't pick this title up before. I'm giving this a buy it. This is great, hard-hitting, real-world storytelling by Hawkins, who we've both enjoyed on Think Tank a lot. Check this out. Power Cube, number one, from Dark Horse. This was a cute sci-fi adventure story about a teenager that's given what is essentially a wish-fulfillment device on his 18th birthday by his scientist father. Oh, man. Every kid's dream. Jesus. It's very slight, and it has a throwback, almost dated feel to it. But the setup is fun. I love Aaron Lepresti's art, so I'll stick around for the next issue for sure. It's a strong skim it. 
Fury, Shield 50th Anniversary, number one from Marvel. At this point, I think we have reviewed almost all of these ones. all of them. I don't give two craps about Black Nick Fury Jr., but... You have to call him Black Nick Fury Jr. He is just Nick Fury Jr. He'll always be Black Nick Fury Jr. to me. <laughs> but this was a great story by David Walker that sees Fury Jr. going back in time to meet Fury Sr. And they both saved the life of a very important yeah. person in the future. I saw that. Thanks, Bleeding Cools, for spoiling that one. I hope the S.H.I.E.L.D. series that's coming is as good as these anniversary issues. They're just fun stories. I'm giving it a buy it. <laughs> Mythic, number four from Image. If you are not reading this amazing book by Phil Hester and John McRae, then you a straight up dummy. Wow. Yeah, I said it. Strong words. Magic is running amok. I've had some tequila. <laughs> Just glad you didn't call them poop heads. Yeah. <laughs> Magic is running amok. Science is meaningless. Two-eyed cyclopses with machine guns. I think it's the plural of cyclops is cyclops. Whatever. <laughs> Wonderful characters brought to life by Hester's excellent script and McRae's insane art. Huge buy it. Mythic is the best. It really is. It's fantastic. That is your ludicrous speed round, and fish is the onomatopoeia of the week. And the sound of Deathstroke cutting out a god's heart with a really dumb-looking sword. It was stupid. As seen in this week's issue of Deathstroke. Somebody bequeathed him like a Final Fantasy-looking thing. It's not even that. Final, the Final Fantasy sword is cool. This looks like a... a lobster gave birth to it or something i don't know it's just dumb <laughs> now head over to the this week's comic section of the thn forums and carve out our hearts with your opinions of all the new funny books that you read this week you know what it looks like it looks like the witchblade mm. stupid we enter the thn sanctum sanctorum this week with heavy hearts to remember the life and times of yogi bear yogi passed away earlier this week at the ripe old age of 90 he has survived by his life partner, Boo Boo, and good friend, Ranger Smith. Joe, I want to thank you for helping me plan this wake, but I can't for the life of me figure out why all these old baseball greats keep showing up. I told you, you idiot. It's Yogi Berra, not Yogi Bear. Okay. I heard something about this and I can fix this. Okay, Joe, you go collect some stats and stories on Mr. Barra while I distract these guys with some talk of next week's comics. Uh, real quick, before you go, uh, tell the kids what you're excited to read next week. I'll be right back. No one's going to buy that you <laughs> made that mistake and not me. It's true. It would have been better for you, but it was my turn. My pick for next week is, and I can't believe I'm saying this. If we don't win an award for this. I don't know what <laughs> we have to f***ing do. All right? Sandman Overture number six, baby. From Vertigo, written by Neil Gaiman. With art by J.H. Williams III, here's your solicit. Didn't this start in the 70s? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> the final issue of the Eisner Award-nominated series is a sweep of science fictional beauty and madness, featuring cameos by some of Morpheus's favorite siblings, the grand finale of Overture, sudden caps, dovetails into the start of the Sandman's first journey, providing new insight into The Sandman Volume 1, colon, Preludes and nocturnes. Okay, I'm taking umbrage with the word science fictional. Science fictional. Is that a word? Shouldn't it just be science fiction beauty? If sectional is a word, then right, fictional right. is a all word. Right. Okay. Well, fictional is a word. I'll give you that. Map bomb. Next week, I want to check out Bloodthirsty, number one, from Titan Comics, written by Mark Landry with art by Ashley Witter. It's 48 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. Haunted by the catastrophe that tore his city apart 10 years ago. 
Coast Guard veteran Virgil LaFleur struggles daily with the hardships of a post-Katrina New Orleans. This reminds me of Bruce Willis in Striking Distance, which was a terrible movie. But when his younger brother's murder leads him into a vortex of intrigue, corruption, and violence, Virgil becomes obsessed with bringing the killers to justice and exposing the horrific secret hiding beneath the Mississippi. From screenwriter Mark Landry, I had to look him up. This is the man that brought you Teen Beach Movie and Teen Beach Movie 2. And artist. Oh, no. You mean like literally. Literally. Like scary movie. N- but Teen Beach. Yeah. I think they were like kid comedy, though. Oh. Yeah. Really bad. Boy. <laughs> and artist Ashley Marie Witter, who does Scorriers and is super freaking talented, comes this visceral revenge thriller that merges the real world hopes and horrors of a post-disaster community with an engaging threat of political corruption, class divide, and blood-curdling terror. Here's the thing. I'm giving this dude some credit because it sounds like he's got a really good premise here. Witter is a very a job's a job, artist. man. I think we talked about this once. And a job is a job. If they came to me and said, "Matt, we need you to write Teen Beach movie," I'm like, "What's it pay?" Right on. I'm in. <laughs> Teen Beach movie three. Here I come. It's the weird prequel that has nothing <laughs> the, to do with Teen Beach. It's the one, one where the Rock shows up and yeah. really brings the whole cast together. It's an Asian. No, it's an Asian Teen Beach starring a character that won't be back oh, until it's, Teen Beach five. It's Teen Beach three. <laughs> Tokyo Drift. Yes, exactly. <laughs> The THN trade of the week is the Mads Original Idiots Slipcase Collection from DC Comics, written by Harvey Kurtzman. Listen to this. It's 528 pages for 45 bucks. That's insane. Here's your solicit. And full disclosure, I wrote some of this. DC wrote some of this. It's a hodgepodge. Whatever. In its early days, Mad Magazine employed some of the comics industry's most legendary creators. Jack Davis specialized in parodies of horror and Western stories. Wally Wood specialized in parodies of science fiction and war stories, as well as slick Hollywood films. And Bill Elder may have been Mad's most versatile artist, able to mimic any other artist's style while still retaining his own quote-unquote chicken fat approach to cartooning. I don't know what that means. I don't either. DC is releasing individual art books featuring these three artists next week. Can't decide which Mad art book you want to buy? We humbly suggest that you buy them all in this new slipcase that includes all three volumes, spotlighting Jack Davis, Wally Wood, and Will Elder, pulled from the pages of Mad Comics 1 through 23. This was before it became a magazine, but it was comic book size. This is amazing stuff. The dude. EC days. Yeah. Very, very cool stuff by very, very cool creators. I'm more of a chicken schmaltz comic style man myself. <laughs> Wake me up when the Al Jaffe art book comes out. I really love the dude that makes the fold in things at the end. I love Al Jaffe. I do too. I <laughs> Those know, are so cool. <laughs> but seriously, this is a serious piece of comics history. Yeah. 45 bucks for 500 pages. Give me a break. Come on now. I think the only other way to get those old mad stories up till this point were those really high-end, big, tall, hardcover mad archive books. Yeah, that's probably right. These sound like a steal. They're 15 bucks a piece individually. You can spend 45, get them with a slipcase. Christmas is coming, nerds. No brainer. Well, this is all gone to hell in a handbasket. Uh, Stanopus and Pete Rose got into a shoving match, and El Kabam finished the job. Joe, you got to help me get everybody out of here. In the meantime, you guys, let's head over to the forums and uh, just tell us what you're excited to read next week. Gee! Once a month, Matt and I sit down to prove that our new meds are working, and we read and review an entire graphic novel for a little segment we like to call Take a Look, It's in the Book. I think we make the same attention deficit joke every month. Well, is there another joke that works? <laughs> Just, 
I mean, really. I mean, we don't really have to pick on <laughs> ADD kids. This is the kind of predictive humor that our listeners tune in for, okay? This is why our downloads it's are down. reassuring. This month, Joe and I tackled Virgil from Image Comics, written by Steve Orlando with art by J.D. Faith. Virgil is the story of a corrupt, in-the-closet homosexual cop living in Kingston, Jamaica. Virgil is squeezing money from drug dealers and gangsters in an attempt to get him and his boyfriend to Toronto, where they can live an open relationship and regular life. Joe, I had no idea <laughs> you didn't what I was getting into here. I didn't. I didn't look at anything. I just went, okay, read. Yeah. So Steve Orlando writes Midnighter. You may recognize his name from that book. One of my also, favorite books on the stands right now. Uh, created the image book Undertow. Yes. Also fantastic. Orlando himself coined the phrase queer exploitation. For this graphic novel, and it's kind of in the spirit of old black exploitation movies from the seventies. Yeah, it is exactly what you think it is when you hear that term. It's, it's violent, tough as hell. Take no prisoners, revenge piece. This is like John Wick starring a homosexual, basically. <laughs> I mean, really, if instead of killing his puppy, they had kidnapped his boyfriend. Yeah, I mean more or less. But seriously, in the sense that it's like ten pages of story, and then. 75 pages of revenge. <laughs> yeah. And I have to give Orlando credit here. He doesn't hold back at all. This is no unabashed. These are two homosexual men in love. And this is what it looks like when they're together. Yeah. And this is the very detestable, vile life that they are environment that they have to live in. Virgil is not a good guy. No, he's a conflict. Like most black exploitation characters, he is a conflicted character. He's not necessarily good. He's all right with going beyond the rules of justice to get what he needs. It's that he's not a good guy, but in this instance, he's in the right. Right. Well, or, or he's doing what he feels is right to get himself out of a terrible situation. Sure. Like and he, he's been brutalized. His right. loved ones have been brutalized and he's doing what he has to. But even before that, like he's a corrupt cop and right. he's taking this money to get his true love, his boyfriend and him the hell out of Jamaica, which is a place that is rife with homophobia, a strong you, history of homophobia. Did you get the impression that this was a period piece or do you think it took place in the now i don't think that matters i think it could still be do you think it's now. really that bad still it is it is there's homosexuals constantly murdered in jamaica it's Ugh. really bad and they have a long history of this bull i mean it's terrifying honestly it's really upsetting it's very upsetting and it's just this very macho culture in jamaica it's just like kind of macho gangster culture that does not put up with homosexuality Period. What I think is really interesting here is this is not like an examination of homophobia. It's not an examination of what it is to be a homosexual in Jamaica. Even this is an action piece. This is a plain right. old fashioned action piece that hits all the beats of every revenge story you've ever read or seen in a movie. Only the main characters are two homosexuals. And it really does flip that whole genre on its head. Right. It Orlando's not really doing any preaching here other not than at all. other than the obvious that just comes from right. A that man, comes from the 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 plot, right? A it's man just like forced to live a lie. Horrifying, yeah, horrifying wrong. situation and horrifying events happening to these people. Right. But beyond that, Orlando's not making any like 
bold statements. Not at all. He's just saying they f- the wrong dude. Yeah. And now Virgil's out for blood. This is just a revenge story. It happens to star a gay man. Yeah. And it was brilliant. And the art, JD Faith, really, really solid art here. I enjoy the art quite a bit. He draws with kind of like a thicker yeah. line. It reminded me a lot of Paul Azaceta. Okay. Yeah. You remember him? Paul Azaceta. I would also throw Sean Martinborough in there. Very blocky. Sure. And not a whole lot of detail in the backgrounds, but really solid when it comes down to emotion and when it comes down to fight scenes, very like visceral action. He's really good. And I think he's a guy that's coming into his style. There were still a couple panels that got a little weird with some of the fight scenes where I wasn't really sure on point of view. Not bad, but just like maybe he was trying something that he hasn't mastered yet. I'm going to try to say this in the least offensive way possible. I did have a hard time telling the characters apart at first. No, I, I will give you the two main characters. Especially when they were all wearing the exact same outfit. Yeah. That's also part of the culture, though, where like the cops, they all kind of look the same and dress the same and cut their hair in the same macho military kind of way. And I don't know if that was a conscious decision. They may look like, look, we're all like in the same herd mentality. And that's why we do this. You know, and Virgil was really one of the only characters outside of the gangsters that really stood out. Yeah, you're right. The gangsters did stand out. Yeah, they looked different. They were baggy pants. They Some of them had dreads. Or bald. Yeah, or like they were bald heads. together, you know, where the cops just looked like a group of nameless thugs that just follow the same herd mentality and think they're badasses and do what they're told because that's what they've always done. I, I, I just, I thought this was a fantastic book. I read it in one sitting. It took me about an hour and a half. It's real short. It's very short. It's fair. straight. It's to the point. And it just takes a genre that we've all seen a mil, done a million ways and kind of turns it on its head. I thought it was a great twist on that premise yeah. on a revenge flick. The very end, the very last page, even they do something that you would never see in a normal revenge flick. I enjoyed this start to finish. I thought it was fantastic. I'd given it a huge buy it. Same here. It's a buy it from me. It's nine 99. It's a hundred pages. It's a quick read. It's a great read. If you love the exploitation genre, uh, especially revenge flicks like uh, payback or get Carter. Yeah. Uh, John wick also, <laughs> which is essentially payback. Yeah. Like seventies black exploitation yeah. movies Shaft. like Shaft or Foxy Brown or whatever. This is right up your alley. It was amazing. It really was super violent very brutal and unflinching in its portrayal and also like very convincing in the sense of like Steve Orlando is just a white guy and he put himself really solidly in the mind of a Jamaican cop <laughs> like it's in true. Kingston but like, that's Steve impressive. Orlando Steve Orlando he has more in common with Virgil than we do in the fact that he is an out gay man fair enough so well Virgil's <laughs> Virgil was outed a closeted gay man <laughs> right yeah. uh, outed uh, against his will an interesting choice to set it absolutely in an environment like Kingston, Jamaica, as opposed to just writing what he knows and like having outside it. of Africa, one of the most homophobic cultures in the world. It's terrifying. I wonder, I know that America has got plenty of problems with this sort of thing, but I wonder if it, it was a conscious choice based on the notion that Kingston is a place where this could conceivably happen and they could get away with it. You know what I mean? Possibly. Where like there's not a thousand reporters or people with iPhones. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, yeah. decrying uh, this police brutality where in Kingston, this sort of thing, they might just 
Say what's up? It's in Tuesday Kings- in Kingston. If you're gay, you live on the down low, and I mean the real down low. You are a hidden persona non grata. It was upsetting. It was badass. It was yeah. It was thrilling in the sense that like just seeing this dude that has been so wronged get what's coming to him or deliver what's coming to yeah, his vintage foes. revenge. Vintage revenge. Loved it. If you read Virgil 2, we'd love to hear your opinions on the book. Next month on Take a Look, we'll be reviewing, I promise, Craig Thompson's first children's graphic novel, Space Dumplings. It's really happening this time. Space Dumplings is 300 damn pages. It's huge. Matt was out of town. It was just impossible. Let's get to work. Pick up your copy if you'd like to read along with us. You'll know it's time to turn the page when you hear this sound. Sort of break it break it down like this. And that is it for the Fall Equinox episode of THN. If you dig shows that tackle homophobia, Islamophobia, and broken homes with comic books, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. With all of the reverence that they deserve. <laughs> Stitcher or tune in. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts that helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. And if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoeditornerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're at nerd.com, you can find links to all our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we regularly post the outtake of the week. It's hilarious. Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. I want to call bull on last week's outtake were you really yeah yeah singing the entire star <laughs> trek theme song yeah while i was freaking out <laughs> all right and don't forget to sign up for the thn forums it's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat guys where you can discuss this week's show you can ask us to review yourself published comic you can learn more about our segments and how you can be a part of them that's right you i'm talking to you you could be on this show or you just rap about comics if you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Wooly Toots and his rotating squad of tag team reviewers like Camarillo Brillo, who just launched their new semi-regular You'll Get It When You Get It feature on TwoHeadedNerd.com. Omnibros! You can check out their first column about Marvel's Warlord of Mars omnibus right now. They basically sit down with an omnibus, read it, review it. It's good stuff. And look for their next installment real damn soon. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Unless you want to be another nameless fatality in your retailer's revenge story, this is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off! That's some cold sh- Throwing my man Leroy out the window. Just pick my man up and threw him out the goddamn window.